Hey everybody, welcome to the Market Moment. This is Matt here with John. John, how we doing? Doing great. Good Life weekend? Good. Awesome. Yeah? Didn't do anything. It's the best kind of weekend. Yeah, we were just talking how the weather finally kind of cooled down. It was super, super hot here. And I then know. the last few days have been really nice. So. It's 80 degrees outside. I felt like I needed to have my coat on. Yeah. So it's like 30 <laughs> degrees cooler. But anyway. Yeah, very, very good weather for very sure nice. the last few days. We could get used to that. So today we are really excited. We've got a very special guest with us, um, Strider Loss from First Trust. Strider is a senior economist at First Trust. And I don't want to do the full introduction for him, but I'll let him kind of do that himself. But Strider, how are you doing? We're happy to have you. Hey, it's wonderful to be with you too. I, uh, it's, uh, I'm in San Diego, California, so beautiful weather here. And uh, I'm glad you guys are getting some good weather now too. Yeah, Strider's like, yeah, I'm glad y'all's weather is like our weather is every day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's actually probably 10 degrees warmer here yeah. than it is there every day. Yeah. Um, well, Strider, we're, like I said, we're excited to have you. First Trust is someone that we do quite a bit of business here with at the firm. We, we uh, talk to you guys and your analysts on a quarterly basis and rely pretty heavily on your team. So a great relationship with First Trust. So we thought it'd be a good idea. Hey, why don't we have one of First Trust's um, senior economists come on and kind of just talk about where you see the markets and where you see um, you know, the economy as a whole and some general thoughts on that. But before we jump into that, um, you know, for my, for mine and John's uh, knowing and, and the listeners as well, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school, how you got into, you know, the industry and started with First Trust. Sure. So I went to Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. It's a small Christian liberal arts school. And uh, First Trust is actually uh, based out of Wheaton. And, and some of the founders went to Wheaton as well. And um, there's a lot of actually pretty big Wheaton contingency at First Trust. But when I was in uh, college, my junior year, I, uh, I actually interned at First Trust for our chief economist, Brian Westbury, and uh, he was actually an adjunct professor at Wheaton College as well. And so I took his class on uh, Wednesday night and uh, anyway, uh, interned for him for two years. And when I graduated uh, or was looking to graduate, I was thinking I was going to go into private equity. So I reached out to uh, Brian Westbury and said, hey, do you have any connections in, in Chicago? Uh, this is kind of what I'm interested in. And he just wrote back, come work for me. And so uh, that was it. And I've been working with Brian for the last 15 years at First Trust. And uh, it's been just uh, it's an incredible place to, uh, to work at and uh, got a really great team. And uh, Brian's been an incredible mentor. So it's been uh, great all around. Man, that's awesome to have someone like Brian that, you know, you got to learn from in school, oh, intern incredible. under, and then roll into a, your first job with straight out of school. That's pretty, pretty cool setup for sure. Yeah, it's been really special. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. A lot of our listeners probably are familiar with the name Brian Westbury, but he's a, you know, regular on um, Fox News, Fox Business, those types of things. You know, you'll see him on TV quite a bit, um, but John's been following Brian and kind of his advice and you know, his thoughts for a long time. For a long time. Brian is, in my opinion, the best analyst on Wall Street. And uh, I have used his words of wisdom. In fact, I steal a lot from Brian and make myself <laughs> sound smart. And you can probably tell by looking at me, I have to steal and I have to do a lot of things <laughs> to sound quite smart. A bit. <laughs> but Brian is, uh, is one of my favorites. And, and I've always loved First Trust because of, you know, all the relationships there at First Trust. Well, it's a great place. And it's pretty cool that you got to go to class with Brian and then or to a class with you know with him 
as the man and then go to work for him. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. And I know First Trust and Mach 1, we share a lot of similar, I think, kind of um, just views and how we see the markets and the economy. And, you know, um, I know there's a lot of similarities there. So just kind of launch the conversation today. Strider, kind of give us your thoughts on, you know, the, the big R word is one that we've heard a lot about for I don't even know how long. Gosh, it seems like a year now we've yeah, been talking I mean, about going when back, is yeah, the going recession. Going back into last year for sure. So, you know, is there a recession? Did we, you know, did, was a recession started when we had the two negative quarters in a row? Um, how far out are we from one starting? You know, kind of get us your thoughts on have ha, one, if you think we've we ever entered into a recession to start with. And if we haven't, do you think it's coming and how far out? Sure. Yeah. So if you think back, I mean, you think back a year ago, back to 2022, we started off with the first two quarters of, of uh, 2022 with negative real GDP growth. And so many people believe the, the definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of, of negative real GDP. Uh, but the reality is, is that's not the true definition. There's not one set definition. And and that's why we have the National Bureau of Economic Research. They're the ones who come out and they they actually declare whether or not we've been in a recession. And, and if you go back really uh, post-World War II, we've had 12 different recessions. Of those 12, eight of them started with two consecutive quarters of negative real GDP, but four of them did not. So again, very good rule of thumb. Majority of the time, you would be in a recession if you have two consecutive quarters of negative real GDP, but it's not always the case. And I think this time around, when you take a look at what the National Bureau of Economic Research looks at, they look at employment figures, they look at um, uh, they look at um, manufacturing figures, they look at retail sales figures, and they adjust all those for inflation. There's really six big indicators that they focus on. And when you look at those six indicators that they find uh, most um, important, four of those six indicators were still growing meaningfully over that two quarter period in 2022. Uh, and so usually if you're in a recession, all six of those or at least majority of them are, are drastically negative um, over that two quarter period. And so again, no recession. And that's why we haven't seen the National Bureau of Economic Research come out and say, first two quarters of 2022 as a recession. But I think it is important to look at where we are today because, again, as of through the second quarter, we're nowhere near a recession in the United States. But we do believe that we will. And a lot of people have changed their tune saying that, no, we're going to have this soft landing. The data has been coming in stronger than what was expected. And so that means no recession on the horizon. But we still believe that there will be a recession coming towards the end of this year and into early next year. And mainly it's due to what's occurred over the last couple of years where we added about $5 trillion worth of stimulus money into the economy. And uh, with that, we saw uh, the money supply, uh, money that's outstanding in the economy, absolutely skyrocket. In fact, over a two-year period, it was up more than 40%. Well, now that's actually the money supply measure. M2 is actually starting to decline and has been declining year over year for the past six months. That to us is a sign uh, of uh, a recession, probably a mild recession, but a recession nonetheless to come in the future here. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned you mentioned that at the very end, mild recession, kind of going on to one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, 
you know, COVID was such an unprecedented type of an event, right? And the, and the response to COVID by the Fed and our government and just what we did to, you know, in the moment felt like what we had to do to kind of keep everything afloat, right? And very unprecedented, like never really seen anything right. like that um, in any <clears throat> of our lifetimes, if ever. And I think a lot of people look at that and say, especially kind of the more pessimistic or more bearish people look at that and say, well, we almost kind of need a corresponding unprecedented negative event to occur on the back end of that to reset things. How does how do you see that, you know, and, and how does First Trust see that? Do we need a larger event to kind of unfold to kind of reset the system or is a mild recession um, possible and would that do it? Yeah, I don't think we necessarily need a, <clears throat> a huge negative shock to reset everything, but I do believe that we will see at some point some type of a recession because monetary policy is very restrictive right now. And when you go back over history, every time monetary policy has been restrictive, it's led to a recession. Uh, I think the same will be true this time around. Inflation on its own is, has absorbed a lot of this excess money um, yeah. that was created. Um, through higher prices for everybody. But uh, I completely agree with you. I mean, what we dealt with back in 2020, especially March and April, when the shutdowns took hold, it was unprecedented. We had 95% of US population on stay at home orders. We'd never seen anything like that before in history. And really, it was, I would say, what, what we will be dealing with are those policy ramifications from the decisions that were made over that period of time, especially from the Federal Reserve. And it's hard to blame them for what they did because we did shut down the economy. I mean, people right. didn't have jobs. We lost 21 million jobs in a two month period. Again, unprecedented, never saw anything like that. And I'd say it was really self-inflicted, but really it was the monetization of debt that occurred by the Federal Reserve. So what I mean by that is we had uh, about $5 trillion worth of debt uh, that the Treasury issued and, and really the Federal Reserve picked up majority of that by creating money out of thin air. And so they take on all those bonds from the Treasury. And now the Treasury has this money, this all this uh, trillions of dollars that was created out of thin air. And they took that money and they directly deposited it into people's bank accounts. And, and uh, that spending, that stimulus that we saw from that money that was created out of thin air is what's really driven the economy substantially higher over the last couple of years. And at some point there is going to be payback from that. And we think it's it's around the corner. Some of that was due payback was in higher inflation, but I think it's also going to come through a mild recession as well. Yeah. John. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And of course I read the Monday morning outlooks every week. So everything you say is not news to me. Uh, you know, I saw something today, the downgrade of the 10 banks, uh, you know, the Fitch comes in and warns the, the banks, the middle-sized banks. Then you have China news today that the economy is slowing and they have, they have bad numbers in China. So you couple all that together. Where do you think we stand in relation to the world? Or, and you say mild recession. Do you guys see that across the globe? Do you see that U.S. can be the the tallest person in the room. I don't know how to explain it, but like we all go through that or what do you see how we're relating to the rest of the world? And, and the, I'm doing two questions and the banking issue is that seems like that's old news. We've kind of already gone, gone through that, but then you have this news report today. How is that affecting things in your mind? 
Sure. Yeah. I think if, you know, it's what's interesting is the U.S. is such a big part of the global economy that when the U.S. has a recession, it usually impacts the rest of the world, whether it causes a dramatic slowdown or a recession, a global recession. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a dramatic slowdown. We, we kind of already are starting to see it, but uh, a, a global recession as well coming in the next year or so. Um, when I look at what's been going on with uh, the banking system in general, <clears throat> it is not a systemic issue whatsoever. It's it's really been a couple of banks that got into issues because they had um, they thought they were making a great decision at the time by buying all of these long dated uh, treasuries of mortgage backed securities because the Fed was telling them that, especially think back to the beginning of twenty or the end of twenty twenty one in December. The Fed was telling them that at most they were going to raise rates three times for 75 basis points. Right. And yeah. on top of that, that inflation wasn't a big deal. And so if you're a bank and you're thinking out and you've been in this 0% interest rate environment for about 15 years and you can get some type of yield now on longer dated uh, treasuries and mortgage backed securities, you think you're making a good trade until the Fed, instead of raising by three times, ends up raising by the equivalent of 17 25 basis point hikes. Again, got a lot of banks upside down, uh, asset liability mismatches, but there was no uh, uh, systemically wide insolvency issue for banks whatsoever. And so I think when you look at cash assets as a share of total assets for banks right now, um, it's about 10% uh, of assets, which is very elevated relative to history. Think back to the great, uh, the, the financial crisis, the great recession, in 2009, that measure was under 3% and was very worrisome. We're nowhere near those kind of levels today. And so I'd say the banking system looks very different, but that's not to say that with elevated interest rates moving forward here, as we believe they'll stay, uh, that we won't see some more issues with some banks, some uh, one-off issues, but by no means is it a, a systemic issue whatsoever. Good. Yeah. And you said, so related to rates, you said we, we think they'll stay. So this has been another kind of conversation yeah. of, you know, how dramatically rates have risen. And then a lot of people think they're going to just um, peak and then immediately start coming back down. Is that realistic? Or where, where, what do you personally kind of first trust think from a from a rate perspective? Do we see higher rates for longer? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you what the market currently believes. When you look at, at where the market is forecasting through futures uh, rate cuts starting its next year. And in, in, uh, they're, they're not forecasting any more rate hikes right now, but by March of next year will be the first rate cut. Yeah. And there's going to be six rate cuts they're projecting in 2024. Six. Um, uh, I, I think if anything, yeah, I think if anything, rates are going to stay where they're at. I, I still think there's a chance we see one more rate hike. But if not, I, I think rates through next year may stay uh, um, just where they're at between five and, and five and a quarter. Um, and the reason I say that is, is and I think the, Fed, uh, the, the market's gotten ahead of itself a little bit by looking at these inflation figures right. that have come down dramatically over the last six months or so. I mean, if you look at CPI, for instance, since its peak of 9.1% last year, it's just continued to, to fall down to around 3% last month. But what's interesting is the last two months, we saw dramatic declines, almost full percentage points year over year declines in, in CPI, but that was all due to a base effect. And what I mean by right. that is last year we had 
uh, very large increases for two consecutive months because of the war in Ukraine starting, commodity right. prices skyrocketing and whatnot. So if you just model out, for instance, uh, over the next six months um, and say inflation, we, we've seen an average of CPI growing month monthly by about 0.3%. If that just continues that average of 0.3%, uh, this is the bottom in June. It, by the end of the year, we'll be at around four and a half percent. So uh, inflation is actually most likely going to be trending back higher in the next six months by the end of the year, not lower uh, across pretty much every measure. And so by that, by that, I think the Fed, if anything, is going to keep rates higher for longer. Um, maybe they don't raise any more. I still think maybe one more time. But I think where the market is off is by saying that the Fed's going to cut six times next year. Even if we enter a recession, I do not believe the Fed will cut rates. I think they'll leave rates where they are. And the reason I say that is, is they do not want to experience another period like the 1970s, where all of a sudden once things started to inflation started to come down a little bit, uh, they decided to cut rates. And then all of a sudden inflation came roaring back. Yeah. That's the last thing that they want to do. Yeah. Well, as we're yeah. talking about rates, you know, from a as a fixed income investor, I know, you know, we've we've been kind of advocating and communicating to clients, hey, we want to stay stay pretty short term, right? There's no incentive to go out long, you know, right. on the yield curve and buy. When do you think you start to look, you know, further out as a fixed income investor and you start to say, okay, now we can, um, you know, start increasing duration on part of this on this part of our portfolio? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think we're we're pretty much there now. Uh, I think the the rate hike cycle has pretty much come to its end in, in terms of how much more we're going to hike rates here. Um, I think they will stay pretty much where they're at for the foreseeable future. But I, I think adding duration here is is very important moving forward here. I, I think you're I mean, any when the ten years over four percent, I think that's a great time to be locking that in. But I think the sweet spot right now is somewhere between the five and seven year, um, right around there. But yes, I would be adding duration as much as you can right now, because I think we're not going to see rates go too much higher here. And in fact, I think uh, moving forward here, as we start to get closer to a recession that we might see the longer end uh, come down somewhat. So it'd be good to, to lock it in today. Yeah. It's a good answer. So the inversion of the yield problem, or and you hear that a lot on the news and so on about that always leads to recession, which we're talking about going to recession, but it also is the reason why we've gone short. So now that doesn't bother you at all in the long-term prospect. No, you know, I think, I mean, I think the reason we have an inverted yield curve is because, well, obviously it's because the short ends longer or the short ends higher than the, the long end. And a yeah. lot of that's due to what the Fed's been doing and causing restrictive monetary policy. Uh, but I think eventually, uh, by 2025, the short end is going to start to come back down as inflation does get back down to 2%. And uh, I think uh, inflation gets under control. And with that, I think we will see long-term yields move up slightly. Uh, but uh, in short end, I think it's going to come down tremendously. Yeah. And so gotcha. I think the biggest issue is reinvestment risk right now. If you're holding, you know, one, two-year uh, bills or, or bonds or, or anything in that um, duration, I think if those are where you're going to start to 
uh, get into some trouble with reinvestment risk because I think yields a year, two years from now are going to be on the short end are going to be a lot lower than where they are today. Where on the long end, um, I think that's where you're 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 going to find your sweet spot between five and seven years right now. That makes perfect yeah. sense. So let's talk. Let's let's stop talking about the boring stuff, yeah. and rates and fixed income. Let's talk about stocks. That's what everybody wants to talk about. So we, you know, the first half of the year, you saw this very narrow market where there was like a handful of names, the big dogs, kind of leading the market, driving the indexes higher. And here over the last month, two months, couple months, we've started to see kind of more breadth in the market, if you want to call it that, or just broader market participation. Um, how do, does First Trust look at that and say, like, hey, this is maybe signs of what we've been saying is coming to fruition or um, a healthier market? Or how do if, if y'all if y'all see that and take have any takeaways, like what would that be? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a healthier market. I mean, if you look through this either through May or, or through June, uh, but really those top seven stocks that everybody talks about, they made up almost 100 percent of the gain for the year for the S&P 500. So. If you weren't in those seven names, uh, you probably have not had a, a very good year. Um, now, when you take a look at where we are today, uh, those top seven names make up about 66% of the total return for the S&P 500. So the other 493 companies make up the other uh, 34% there. So we've seen a broadening for sure. From going from basically zero a couple months ago to up to 34% now. Uh, to me, that is a good sign. Uh, and I think it is more important moving forward here to not chase those companies that have done just had an exceptional run this year. Uh, what we've seen in those top seven companies, most of them are they're all growth companies and, and tech companies in particular. Um, and they're great companies, I think, over the long term. But I think in the short term, um, whether it's because of um, hype about artificial intelligence or or whatever that's been driving them higher, uh, earnings have not kept pace, not even close to what we've seen with the price gain. So the, the price to earnings ratios for those seven companies, things in the 30s or 40s now, <clears throat> where if you look at the other 493 companies in the S&P 500, the PE ratio for them is about 15. And so I would say if you're looking to invest, I would be looking more equal weight, equal weight S&P 500 yeah. or equal weight in general instead of market cap weighted, uh, where I think if some of these companies do turn over, roll over, which I think there is a very good chance of, um, you, you won't be hit as hard. Yeah. In these narrow markets, it's hard not to chase. I mean, when all of the oh, performance yeah. is coming from a handful of names, like yeah. it's hard not to say like, well, let's just go buy more Apple Oh, no doubt. Microsoft, the Apple, Nvidia. Yeah, yeah, the names are are easy to like at this point, but they're not. If you look, like you said, I think we're going away from that, right? We're we're more defensive, if you will. And I think that was one of the topics we wanted to talk about, the yeah. defensive strategy that First Trust has been, you know, for the whole year. And again, I, I read all of Brian Westbury's notes. <laughs> so you can't pull one over on me here. I got all his notes. Um but I know it's been a defensive kind of front this year, you know, uh, and I'm assuming now we're starting to get into where that is. Maybe we were a few months ahead of that strategy, you know, coming to realization, but now it looks like it's happening. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we wouldn't change our outlook whatsoever for where we are today. Um, I would say be defensive, uh, we think, for the next 12 months or so. 
Uh, but at the same time, it's I wouldn't say it's a time to be moving to cash. Obviously, we talked a little bit about fixed income. You can get some really good yield in this environment right now. But looking at even dividend paying stocks is a great area to be in uh, moving forward here. And, and I think on, on top of that, when I look out over the next five to 10 years, what we're dealing with today, I think, is really going to just be payback for those policy decisions that were made. Back in 2020, there's nothing fundamentally broken with the U.S. economy. Uh, we just need to have this this time of payback. And when I look out over the next five to 10 years, I, I think the hype about artificial intelligence is correct. Uh, you know, you think about large companies, um, Apple, Google, uh, Netflix, Amazon, they've been using artificial intelligence for years and years in their operations, and they've put in a lot of investment into that field and it's benefited them tremendously. You look at the productivity gains, they've been massive. And I think that's one of the reasons why these companies have done so exceptionally over the last 10 years. But now that technology is really starting to filter down to small and medium sized companies. And so when you look out, when I look out over the next five to 10 years, when this will really be felt, I think we're going to see a productivity boom like we have not seen in a very long time. And if that's the case, then I think that stocks are going to perform very, very well moving forward. So yes, in the short term, I'd say be conservative here because we do see this recession around the corner. Although many people don't believe it's coming anymore, we still believe it is coming. As Milton Friedman said, uh, monetary policy works with long and variable lags. And, and, and so at some point we think it will hit. But over the long term, I mean, make sure your position because some of the best returns I think we've seen in a while uh, will be right here in the next five to 10 years. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, that's yep. good to hear. I mean, yep. you hear you hear so much negative stuff, you know, these days just with everything going on, even though the market's been holding up pretty well. Just a lot of junk out there. So that kind of long-term positive, you know, uh, John is our in-house pessimist. So <laughs> he he's always willing to bring the negative view to the table. Um, but it is, I, I, I think, you know, we, I know we agree, you know, in terms of just believing in the American economy. It's still right. the best country in the world. Right. Um, the best system in the world, albeit, you know, even though it has its, you know, issues yeah. and things that we could fix, um, it's still still the best place to live and uh, best place to invest. So I'm, I'm 52 and I'm suddenly the old bearish guy. Yeah. You know, for all my career, I've been the bull in the room and now I'm the I'm, I'm the pessimist. But again, I get it straight from Brian Westbury, who's in his 60s, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So it's just it may be the age thing. Yeah. So you're young telling us it's going to be great for five to 10 years. So I'm going to believe that. I'm going on with that. I'm going to tell Brian I've got a new guy I'm listening to. <laughs> well, what are your – so kind of wrap up today's conversation. I think this has been really good, insightful for me. But um, where do you see – and I'm not asking for like a, a price target by any means unless you have one. But kind of where do you see, if you had to guess, um, you know, where do you see the S&P ending the year in what kind of range? Exact number. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> – so we use the way we forecast the for the stock market is we use a capitalized profits model, which really has two inputs. It has an interest rate component and it has earnings, uh, corporate profits. And so basically we, we look at where corporate profits are relative to how they performed over history relative to the we use the 10 year treasury as our discount for that model. And what that tells us today, because when you look at corporate profits, uh, really for the last three quarters, they've been declining for the S&P 500. They've held up a little bit better for economy-wide corporate profits, but nonetheless, they've been fairly weak 
what that measure, what that uh, uh, model tells us today is that fair value for the S&P 500 is about 3,900. So that's obviously a lot lower than where things currently are. Will we get there or not? Um, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of human emotion uh, that goes into the market in the short term. But I think over the long term, and what this model has done a very good job of over time is showing whether the market is over or undervalued. And again, it's not to say that the market can't stay overvalued for a period sure. of time or stay undervalued for a period of time. But when we put it all together, um, what, what it says to us today is that things have run a little bit too far too fast. We think the market currently is overvalued and we see a recession uh, on the horizon. And uh, with that, we see a 10-year treasury around 4%. And when we plug that all in, it says that the market today is is overvalued. And so uh, you want to be more in, I'd say, dividend paying stocks in areas that have uh, that are quality companies that have strong cash flows right now that are actually earning money. And I'd, I'd say that that are kicking off dividends. And um, with with that said, I think, uh, you know, our, our forecast is still thirty nine hundred for the end of the year. I think it's probably the market will finish higher than that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see a pullback to maybe around 4,200 by the end of the year. But uh, our official target is 3,900. So, gotcha. And I think 3,900 that that put it right around like a 12, 13, 14 percent pullback right. somewhere in there from where we're at today. So, I mean, you look at how often a 10 to 15 percent pullback happens. I mean, it happens all all the time, right? And so, yeah. it's not if those seven stocks that have led the market yeah, fell when, back themselves 10 to 12 percent. Yeah, I mean, how much would the S&P go down just on those seven overvalued stocks? Does that make sense? So in other words, the breadth of the market might, everything else might be better. Those those seven alone could come back to normal. Well, they make up, I think those down. the top 10 companies make up around 30% of the index, somewhere in that range. And so if you had a, you yeah, know, if you had a 10% pullback, you know, that would be what, 3%? 3%, yeah, roughly. Just on those, just, just on those, those stocks, which those naturally should come back a little bit. Yeah. So when yeah. uh, that's very you know feasible, I think to think you know the market could see that between now and the end of the year. Let's hope not. But I know. Um, anyways, well, John, any parting thoughts or questions for Strider before we wrap up today's? No, I just thank you very much, Strider, for taking the time. Uh, it's been great. Yeah, enjoyed the conversation, Strider. Um, I hope you continue to have perfect and beautiful weather out <laughs> in San Diego. Um, hopefully, ours lasts for a little bit longer. Uh, but yeah, we really appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, great conversation. Would love to have you back on here at some time in the in Thanks. the future. And yeah, we appreciate First Trust partnership and uh, the work we we get done together. So um, hopefully that continues for a long time. I agree. You guys are the best. Thanks so much. Been a real pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. And as always, right. we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, if you would go like or subscribe the podcast on the YouTube channel or Spotify or Apple podcast wherever you listen or watch this so um, we look forward to you joining us next time on the market moment a quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of mach one financial group this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed.
Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-1financial.com disclosures.